this episode of the Closeout Podcast. I'm writing solo today, but the reason why is because when we have guests, we, we don't have a lot of guests ever on the Closeout Podcast, but when we do, they are some special people. And our guest today is Mr. Alec Musa. And for those of you that do not know Alec Musa, we interned over the summer in Nebraska. Alec, it is freaking good to see your face, my guy. I've <laughs> been waiting to talk to you for a while. This is, this is going to be great. Yeah, I remember the first time that we actually met. So Alec comes in. I remember this vividly. It's the first night of our internship. I get there in Nebraska, and we don't even have host families. We're staying in the Monument Inn, which is the worst hotel possible. You don't even have elevators, but they, for some reason, have, you know, the carts to help you bring your bags up, but how are we going to get them up the stairs? So that's that's one thought that I just had to throw in there. But I remember seeing Alec Musa come in, and I had to room with this dude. So I was like, uh, this is, this is going to be kind of awkward. This is going to be kind of weird, like random dude. But I would say we hit off pretty pretty well because you had me watch, you know, what was that show called? Sunny, uh, Sunny Always in Philadelphia. Sunny in Philadelphia. Sunny in Philadelphia, and we're having a good time late watching that. And then in the morning, we started talking college basketball, and I was like, I think, I think I'm going to hang around this Alec Musa dude a lot. And, and he's a uh, Alec got me really into looking at that spreads and betting in college basketball because he is a champion at it. Follow him, at, follow him on Twitter. What's your Twitter? Uh, ooh, people have asked me that in a while. I believe it's uh, Musa underscore Alec or Alec underscore Musa. One of the ways, but if you just type in my name, Alec Musa, it'll come up. It, it should it should pop up. He's gonna he's gonna be the the check mark is gonna be coming up next week for batting or something like. <laughs> One that. day I hope uh, that can Absolutely. come up. Absolutely, hate it. Yeah, and uh, Alec, and also I have to get you. Um, I went and listened to because you asked me to get it our pregame show that we did for one of the Western Nebraska Pioneers games. And okay. it is so awesome. I'm going to have to get it to you. And you were throwing out the stats and everything. So oh, that was a great um, time. That was absolutely. A great time. Yeah, absolutely. And finally we have them on here talking college basketball and uh, Alec, I just got done telling you that this college basketball season, I wasn't a believer in it. I, I didn't think that there were really a lot of competitive teams. It was going to come down to Gonzaga and Baylor but slowly we're getting a little bit more competitive. And I, and I said maybe that has to do with starting the season. Nobody was able to practice with each other because of COVID. And now you're in a time where really around the season skill-wise, this would be maybe December or January when you're originally starting conference play. And we see Michigan. They've been on a tear. I was so impressed how after two weeks off, they were able to steamroll Wisconsin, even though Wisconsin's looking like a joke right now, but even beat Ohio State. And Alec Musa, I love that Ohio State team. So what, have, what are your thoughts on the college basketball season so far this year? Well, well yeah, definitely um, the whole COVID-19 thing is kind of throwing a wrench in everybody's plans, especially the offseason plans. Like you said, um, it's hard to gel with your teammates, especially, you know, you had a bunch of freshmen coming in, especially at these, you know, big time power six conferences you have freshmen yeah. coming in. you don't really get a gel with them if you're an upperclassman absolutely you see that kind of at you know duke um matthew hurts an upperclassman they have the freshman coming in jalen johnson and other guys like that and they really struggle to begin the year and all of a sudden jalen johnson opts out or what i like to say quit yeah about, uh, another time and all of a sudden duke starts rolling the freshmen kind of figure out their roles as it goes along matthew hurt 
is playing exceptional basketball. Oh my gosh, that that game against Virginia. I know you were hating that because you you love Virginia basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matthew yep. Hurt was was looking like the Matthew Hurt that we we thought we were gonna get. He, he's one of the few guys that, um, especially at the the Blue Bloods, um, that comes back and his draft stock rises. He's one of those guys that I don't think was a draftable player last year. Might have signed, you know, after the draft, signed, you know, maybe a two-way contract his rookie yeah. year if he got lucky. But he's lining up right now. And, yeah, him and Sam Hauser of Virginia were going back and forth. But, yeah, I mean, he won the game and uh, he outplayed Sam. And Duke's looking like one of those teams that if they win out the, the regular season and maybe win a couple games in the ACC tournament, that they're going to get in. Now, how – A month ago. Yeah, and – I want to get your opinion on this because I've, you know, I do a lot of broadcasting at Western and obviously I'm talking sports all the time. And I feel like people, especially in Kentucky are going to say that it's better for college basketball to have the blue bloods in because it brings more traction to the sport for me personally, because my favorite team's Oregon and I'm not, you know, blue bloods getting in. I, I, I really don't care as much. I would say that just having this one season where you kind of finally don't have the blue bloods in, it's kind of good for college basketball because it's something new. I'm not saying every you, – you have to have Duke. You have to have Kansas. You have to have teams like that in college basketball because it does bring more people. But I'm saying that maybe you get one year where maybe only Duke and Kansas get in for the blue bloods. I think that's pretty interesting to get some more teams in there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at some of the Blue Bloods and how they've played this year, and I don't want them in the tournament. You watch Kentucky play basketball, it's ugly Michigan State, hard to watch. Yeah, Rocket Watts has never seen a basketball he doesn't want to turn over. You know what I'm saying? Like, they they turn the ball over a lot. Their assist percentage is up, which is nice, but Aaron Henry also can't shoot. Joshua Langford, bless his heart, coming back from injury time time and again, but that guy couldn't hit water out of a boat lately from beyond the arc. And I don't want to see them play. I know UCLA is going to probably make the tournament, but with Chris Smith out, who's their best player, they lack that kind of offensive you know, firepower that they have yeah. with them. And that could be an ugly game too. And at the end of the day, yeah, having them in is going to be nice. But if we do have teams like that in, those kind of borderline, you know, are they in, are they out? you know, UCLA teams, Kentucky teams, Michigan State teams, it's going to be a bad product at the end of the day. And you saw it with Michigan and Ohio State. They're not necessarily blue bloods. They're good programs. Yeah. But, I mean, that game on Sunday, that was awesome. college basketball at its peak. So yeah, that's and, what I want to see. And if that means Kentucky and UCLA, I think UCLA will get in. But if that means Kentucky and Michigan State don't get in, and instead we're going to get teams like uh, – I'm trying to think of a team like an Oklahoma State or, or even uh, – you know, a team of that caliber that's going to yeah. put better product out on the court. I'd rather have that. Absolutely. And, and going back to one of the Blue Bloods, Kansas probably has the best chance of getting in. Let, let's just say they're going to get in. They're probably going to oh, be yeah, – uh, they're, they're in. They can move out there. Yeah, six or seven. But this is the first time where I've looked at a Bill Self Kansas Jayhawks team where, where I'm like, they just have no one to give the ball to in crunch time. And I think that's the problem with all these – Blue Blood teams, because with Kentucky, it was supposed to be P.J. Boston, and he has been maybe the worst player that's supposed to have been a top recruit maybe in their history over the past 10 years. But I look at this Kansas team, and you you got a Baji and you got Christian Brown. I'm like, 
these are the guys that you trust to hit a big shot at the end of the game. I wouldn't be surprised if Kansas gets out first round. Well, here, here's my thing. With Kentucky, I, B.J. Boston, I think, will be a fine NBA player. He'll figure it out. Really? Um, he's not, he's not like about, What do you like about him? I mean, he's athletic, and, I mean, he doesn't have that killer instinct yet, but he's young. So, okay. I mean, give him some time. You can even look back at Brandon Ingram when he's at Duke. I mean, obviously, he was a lot better, but he didn't really have that killer instinct with him, and it frustrated me at times. But that team was better because it had Grayson Allen and Luke Kennard, so he didn't really have to yeah. do everything. I mean, look what he's doing now. I mean, he's averaging, what, 20 points per game for the Pelicans? So oh, yeah, he, he's an all-star. And then you look at B.J. Boston, he can't really hide in the back because he doesn't have those kind of guys out in front that can kind of, you know – take those shots when he necessarily doesn't want to or it's just not hitting for him. Because for Kentucky, the other guy is Olivier Saar, and that guy's the softest dude I've ever seen, the transfer from Wake Forest. I think he's the biggest disappointment in college basketball that's not Arizona State University. That's not a program by itself. <laughs> but, yeah, back to Kansas. Last year, I was big on Kansas. I even told our uh, one of our coaches down in uh, Nebraska, Antonio Garcia, that I thought Kansas was going to win it all last year. I mean, they had the point guard, the do-it-all, you know, senior, Devin Dotson. He could shoot, he could facilitate, and they had the center. You got Azabuki, you got Azabuki, and they still had the guys we're talking about right now. They yes. had Marcus Garrett, they had Brown, they had Abashi, they had those guys. They were loaded, but now you, you lose that guard and you lose that center. And, yeah, David McCormick's looked better, and hence they've been winning games. But, I mean, which David McCormick are we going to get when we get to the tournament? Are we going to get the early season McCormick that couldn't score and soft, or are we going to get the, the this late season McCormick that can facilitate out of the low block, that has good footwork, that's looked really good? And, you know, he kind of carries that Kansas team. Yeah. Not that he's going to – in the stat sheet you're going to see, like, you know, huge points, huge rebounds, huge assists, but when he's playing well – Everybody plays well, it seems like. So, yeah, I get what you're saying. I'm not a huge fan of Christian Christian Brown taking huge shots because his efficiency <laughs> definitely definitely falls down on that. Yeah. More of a spot-up shooter. I mean, he could create off the dribble, sure, but he's not – yeah, he's definitely not that number one option. And Abaji, he's another guy. He can shoot really well. I actually like him a lot as a player. But, yeah, not having a Devin Dotson type, I mean, no, kill yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing is, I don't know why I'm doing it. I'm making another New Orleans Pelicans comparison. But it's like if you took Zion and Brandon Ingram, talking about Dotson and Azabuki, if you took them off of Kansas and then you have Lonzo Ball's your go-to score, you know, they have some nice pieces. Eric Bledsoe, I mean, he's a – yeah, he's awesome. oh, as a Suns fan, yeah, Bledsoe's not my favorite. But, yeah, Lonzo Ball, like you're saying, he's having a career year from deep. He's shooting like 42%. And that was like Christian Brown last year. He had a great freshman year from shooting beyond the arc. Why? Because he could spot up. He could catch and just shoot. He didn't really have to create. And, when he, you know, rotations broke down. They found him. He shot it. I mean, the, the guy's a bucket. But when he has to create by himself, it gets a little bit more difficult. So, yeah, I actually think that's spot on with that team. Definitely. And – uh for more, more information on our guest, Alec Musa, if you don't know, he goes to Arizona State. So that's why he had the, uh, the comment about Remy Martin and Arizona State, how bad they have played this year. I've been so shocked because, I, I'm going to be honest, Alec, I've always thought that Arizona State, basketball-wise, Bobby Hurley, a little overrated. I know John Rothstein, CBS sports analyst, tweets out Bobby effing Hurley every time Arizona State wins a game. But Remy Martin, he's been basically having to do everything. And Josh Christopher, he was banged up 
the the first time I really watched him was when they played Oregon a couple weeks ago, and it just really looked like Remy Martin was the only guy out there. And he put up 33 points, I believe. So Arizona State just been a little bit of a disappointment. They're probably going to have to win the Pac-12 championship to get in. But looking at the Pac-12, we're not going to get into the Pac-12 right now. I just want to mention this. But looking at the Pac-12, they can definitely – I mean, it's anybody's tournament in that conference. Oh, yeah. I mean, Oregon, Oregon looks good of late. I know they just uh, lost – they got kind of – pretty hard by USC. Yeah. I mean, you, Evan Mobley, that kid's a beast. And the transfers over at USC, the, the transfer from Wofford, um, Goodwin, and then the transfer from Rice Peterson. I mean, those guys are solid. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a good tournament. UCLA still has Mick Cronin. Anytime you play a uh, crony ball, you know, all defense, no offense. Um, <laughs> you know, they, anything can happen with those dudes. He's a great coach. So, yeah, I'm excited to watch the tournament. But, yeah, ASU, they, they're going to they're gonna have to win the tournament to get in. I, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, and I would say this team – I would say Gonzaga is probably going to get not at large bid. I would say that they don't have to win their tournament. And No, I've heard they might not even play. They, 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 don't, they don't need to show up ever again until March 18th. They, they are a one seed. That is uh, – if we get to talk about them, they have the – I mean, they're head and shoulders better than everybody. Uh, okay, so, so you're going to hate me for bringing this up. Remember the history of Gonzaga. They're known for having these great teams, but not being able to finish and win a national championship. This is their best chance. They remind me of what the Los Angeles Dodgers have been through, where they have all these great teams, haven't been able to finish. And now they finally got the team, you know, with Mookie Betts and Corey Seager being back. And we're going to make baseball references because that's just who we are. Any reference is awesome. I know that's a basketball podcast, but you just got to hang with us. Me and Musa care a lot care a lot about baseball but they the Dodgers went into this World Series as if you can't get it done this year then you never will and I get that feel with Gonzaga but hear me out my guy Alec Musa hear me out okay Gonzaga still has not been playing competitive games they've been blowing out everyone in their conference and they haven't been getting ready like Ohio State and Michigan with those close Big Ten games you can even throw the Big 12 with West Virginia and Oklahoma State and Oklahoma How They have been challenged in their conference play, and that's going to suit them for March Madness because when you get down the stretch and you get into a close game, they have a better feel of how to finish them. And Gonzaga just really hasn't had that game. I think the closest game they've had this year was in the beginning of the season. It was like their second game against West Virginia – when it was a tie game with five minutes left, but Gonzaga still found a way to win by nine or 11. So when people say, oh, Gonzaga is easily going to win the tournament, I kind of press pause a little bit because of going back to their conference, going back to they haven't been challenged yet. And if they get into a sweet 16 with a team like Oklahoma, who has had some really competitive games with that double overtime game against West Virginia and some others like Alabama, they're going to know how to finish those games a little bit better, even though maybe the talent's not there. Yeah, honestly, I mean, for the Zags, the scheduling always is going to be an issue when you're in the West Coast Conference. I mean, last year was was kind of a little bit of a unique year because BYU was a sweet 16 team. They had TJ Haas, the senior, who – I think he was 30. Do you remember him? He's balding, but he hell of a score. And then he had Yoli Childs, who was also, I mean, he was a low down low, 20 and 10 guy. He was legit. 
And they got to play him twice a year. The Zags did. They got to play BYU twice a year, and they lost to him at, at one point late in the season. I think that was kind of like a wake-up call and was going to get them ready for the tournament. Yeah. This year, BYU's down. I know they got Matt Harms and Purdue transfer, but they lost Haas. They lost Childs. They kind of lost that senior – not really senior leadership, but that, that scoring, that high-octane yeah. scoring. That uh, and, and those two players are professional basketball players. Not in the NBA, but they play overseas, and – the Zags aren't going to have that. And the rest of the season, they're not going to have that in the West Coast Conference. So, yeah, I mean, once they get to the round of 32, that's going to be the first time they play a team that probably has a number to the left of their their university yeah. name in, in three months. And the, the beginning of the season, I mean, they played Kansas. They, they beat them up pretty good. They played that's West so, Virginia. That's so far. Exactly, and yeah, exactly. What we did from basketball team. That's when I was – I mean, I watched Kansas and Kentucky – played a basketball what's the uh what's the when they have the four teams i'm, I'm going blank that tournament at the beginning of the year the, the, the first four in days yeah. but not this year but yeah yeah and and that's kind of what they were in it was kentucky and kansas and it was so difficult to watch but that kansas team was so much different that was a team that was trying to fill each other out and we and we said it at the beginning of the year, COVID, teams weren't able to scrimmage against each other. They were just going out and playing basketball like it was like, you know, everyone, us going to Runza Park in Nebraska, hey, y'all want a ball. It was kind of like that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and David McCormick at the, in, the, in the Gonzaga game, the, the opener of the season for both teams, I mean, he wasn't very good. He, he was uh, detrimental to his team, and now he's a totally different basketball player. So I know if Kansas played the Zags now, the spread on that game was Zags minus four. I think the Zags would get a little bit more points this time around. But also you got to think, David McCormick, he's come a long way. So yeah. he's going to be a little bit more of a pest to Drew Timmy down low, and he's probably going to be more of a scoring factor for the Jayhawks. So absolutely, I think the layoff from playing their last good team, which I believe was Iowa, the 1-3 matchup, when they almost dropped dropped them a hundred yeah. on the Hawkeye, it, it's been a while. So yeah, it's a little concerning. And I know when they had an, um, they they lost a couple of games due to COVID nineteen against Loyola, Marymount, and Pacific. I know they were in talks with Villanova with scheduling a weekend game playing okay. playing the Wildcats, then fresh off COVID nineteen, but it didn't happen. Instead, Villanova scheduled Georgetown, and you know that fell through. Unfortunately, that would have been a great game to watch, but that also hurt the Zags with you know, that kind of competitive factor because yeah. you could say, well, their last game against a really good opponent was really just a month ago. But instead yeah. now we're saying two, three months ago. So, yeah, it makes it makes a, a huge difference. But, I mean, the, the makeup of this team, it's it's a lot different than past Zags teams. Yeah. You've got, the, you got Jalen Suggs, who's, who's a lottery pick, Unreal. top three pick. Yeah, and yeah. they've never had that before. And you still got Timmy – who's been to NCAA tournaments before, Corey Kisper, Joel Yaye, Andrew Nemhard was a two-year starter at Florida. He's been in the NCAA tournament. I mean, they're veteran dudes. So, I mean, I don't think it's a huge deal considering the team we're talking about. But, yeah, it's definitely something you got to think about for sure when filling out your bracket. Yeah, and, and I feel the same way also about Baylor, and not because they haven't played hard teams, is because – they're not playing games at all. They are consistently having cancellations and we'll have a big, they'll have a big game up on their schedule. Oh, West Virginia, this is going to be a good one. Postpone Oklahoma, postpone or Texas Tech. It doesn't matter. And, and Baylor just not getting those games. And I mean, unless at least Gonzaga is actually getting some competition, but I just thought that was pretty interesting. Gonzaga just, I'm, I've always been on the fence about the Gonzaga Bulldogs, no matter, no matter how well they look. And, 
Now I want to talk, because I, I said I love Ohio State so much. Obviously, you have the top-tier teams that everyone thinks is Gonzaga and Baylor. And then you have Michigan, Ohio State. You can throw in Illinois. I don't know how you feel about Illinois. Alabama, they just got shredded by Arkansas somehow. I didn't really understand that. Villanova, I'm reading out the top ten teams. You got Oklahoma at seven. Villanova at eight. They're a weird team. I, I think it's because I just don't know a lot about them, but they've kind of had a lot of cancellations and not a lot of big games as well. Yeah, I'm excited to watch them uh, more, you know, coming up here late, um, later in the year. But, I mean, they got guys. They'll always have guys. It's a yeah, cheer, it's, right? Yeah, so, they're basically uh, a blue blood now. Yeah, yeah, they really are. They're, um, but uh, Colin Gillespie, he's a good guard. Um, the thing with Villanova – that I've, that I've come to know from the past, like, five years, is they always have this veteran guard every year. They had Ryan um, – what's his – Arcanado or – Yeah, RTD Arcanado or whatever. You know, <laughs> that place played for the Bulls for a little bit. I mean, he was there for a while, and they won their first championship. I mean, he was the leader in his last few years there for the Wildcats. And behind him was Jalen Brunson. And then Ryan leaves, and Jalen steps up. Now, he's the starting point guard. Jalen Brunson wins a championship. Senior guard stays the whole time. Well, that that you right. you know this as well as anybody. That's what wins championships. Is oh yeah, that- now they have Colin Gillespie. So now they have another senior guard who sat now behind Jalen Brunson. I mean, he played a little. He played a bit um, in 2017 when they beat Michigan, or 2018 when they beat Michigan in the championship. But now it's his team, and he's got these these top prospects, these blue chip prospects next to him. He's got he's got Justin Moore, and he's got Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And they're good players. Um, I, I got to see a little bit more out of them. I know uh, they have a bunch of other young guys that have that top 100 prospect uh, marker next to their name, and they can shoot really, really well as well. So they're a team that offensively, I don't think it's going to be a big, big deal for them to put up points. Defensively, it might be an issue. We'll see. But yeah, I'm uh, definitely going to keep an eye on them come uh, Big East tournament. And then to finish that top 10, you got Iowa at nine, and then West Virginia. At 10. So I like Ohio State. I really love West Virginia. Miles McBride is going to be a four year guy. And when he's a senior, he's going to be an easy All American. He can create his own shot. And he's a mid range assassin, can get to the hole. And then they have Derek Culver, who he's not going to be a good NBA player I, I, whatsoever. His post move is not great but he's just so much bigger than everyone else that he can bully him inside. And then not a lot of people talk about him because everyone's thinking about the dynamic duo in McBride and Culver, but Sean McNeil is the real key. When he, I mean, he, he sinks that first one in the beginning of the game. It, it's over. He'll hit six threes for the entire day. So West Virginia, I think they're kind of a sleeper. Sean McNeil is an absolute sharpshooter. If there's one player that I could, uh, you know, pull a space jam and steal his talents, it'd probably be Sean McNeil. Okay, that's that's interesting. <laughs> rolling up to an LA Fitness and just being able to drip from three. But uh, here's my thing: when it comes to picking teams to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, is I don't know how familiar familiar you are with Ken Palm, but his his advanced statistics. You just go to KenPalm.com. It's okay. all 300 plus college teams. He's got adjusted efficiency margins, adjusted offense, and adjusted defense. And you want a little bit of balance. And you also want to be one of the top dogs in either adjusted offense or adjusted defense. When I looked at it before I jumped on this podcast, I looked at some of the teams this year and how they kind of 
how 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 the, how they are on the, the standings right now. Yeah. Ohio State concerns me a little bit because they have a top five adjusted offense, which makes sense. I mean, Dwayne Washington's a sharp shooter. EJ Little's a really good player, but their adjusted defense is outside the top eighty. And I, I believe that because when I watched the Michigan game, Michigan lit them up in the first half from deep. In the second half, they well, really – Even in the second half when Michigan got cold, the perimeter passing by Michigan, they had so many good looks. And I was That's like, what I'm saying, yeah. Hits a couple more threes, this game's going to be over. Michigan could have beat them by 20. Yes. You like Brooks, uh, guys, Livers, Brooks, uh, uh, Wagner, guys that usually hit the three had wide open threes. And I think they maybe they were just too wide open. Yeah, the perfect passing was amazing. So I can see where the number 86 comes from. And that's kind of something that you, I, I'm kind of worried about because, I mean, when you get to the tournament, you're playing teams that are a little bit more balanced. And if they start crushing you on the offensive end, can you keep up? And then – Another team that you brought up is Iowa. They have the number one adjusted offense. Makes sense. They got the Naismith player of the year, Luka Garza. But they also are outside the top 70 in adjusted defense. That's a bit concerning for me. And if you go back in the last three years, has there been a team that had either the number one adjusted offense or the number one adjusted defense and didn't win in the round of 64? Yes, Oklahoma State in 2017 when they had uh, Phil Forte and Jawan Evans had the number one adjusted offense, but were outside the top 100 in adjusted defense. They lost in the opening round. So what I'm getting at is Iowa and Ohio State, when you're filling out your brackets, or at least when I'm doing it right now, I'm not going to pick them to make the Final Four because I think they have big issues on the defensive end. So, so, so these, the top these, 10, I'm, I'm weary about those two. And the Ken Palm rankings, I know about them, but I don't. Like, I, I know about them, but I don't at the same time. I don't know what they really tell you. And, obviously, you just got done saying what they what they mean. And how much do you look at the Ken Palm rankings when you're filling out your bracket? I mean, do you sit with your laptop and look at this and then fill out your bracket? Is it as simple as that? Well, for me, as someone who watches a lot of college basketball, and that's a lot of college Honestly, basketball. like, when I'm – I'm terrible at brackets, so I have a really hard time picking underdogs. I'm I'm just like if you know if Ohio State was in a round of 32 game with a pretty good eight seed like a Loyola Chicago, I'm just like well I haven't watched a lot of Loyola Chicago and I love me some Ohio State, so I'll just pick them. And I wouldn't know how bad they are on defense and the way Loyola Chicago's been playing. That would be maybe an upset there. Yeah, absolutely. For me, the Ken Palm stats really come come. Uh, into play when I'm picking a winner, like okay. to win the whole thing or a final four, I should say, kind of the, the last four standing or the last eight standing even. Um, it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really um, sway my decision-making when it comes to the round of 64, round of 32. For that, I kind of go off what I feel about the teams. And I watch a lot of mid-major basketball. So if there's a team that I really liked in the beginning of the year that won their conference tournament, I'm going to be a little bit more bullish on them to win outright or at least cover if I'm making a bet okay. in Vegas or something. But the Ken Palm stats are more for can they make a Final Four? Can they can they rattle off three or four wins in the tournament in a row? And when I see something with, uh, you know, not in the top 70 in defense for Iowa and Ohio State, I pump the brakes a little bit because I'm a little worried about them. Um, then you see the teams that are more balanced and they have a top 10 offense or a top 10 defense. And they're just outside the top 20 on the other end. You got teams like Gonzaga, you got Baylor, you got Illinois, you got Michigan, Houston even. Teams like that that are a little bit more balanced and 
I feel like they won't let you down on one end of the court for a full 40 minutes. So, um, yeah, as far as Ken Palm stats go, it's kind of more when I'm feeling it out for the last, you know, eight standing to make it the final four to make it the, the championship. But really when I'm filling out brackets, my key is I kind of like to find two or three teams I really like in each region. I okay. circle them and I say, well, who do I think would win? So if I circle Michigan and then I circle, I'm trying to Illinois. think of a team. Say like, Illinois. You know, huh? Say like Illinois. Michigan yeah, or, or Oregon even they would they'd probably be in the same one I'd be like well how do they get there who do I think wins well Michigan well let me pencil Michigan in to win the southwest region or region one since it's all in the Indiana this year so something like that but that's how I use Ken Palm stats yeah, so now do the Ken Palm rankings do they take into effect the schedules because going back to Gonzaga theirs may be a little wishy-washy because of the competition that they've been playing. It may say that their defense has been outstanding, but when we really look at it, we're like, whoa, I think Michigan could play pretty good defense if they were playing San Francisco and BYU every single freaking week. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Um, if you go on the website, it also has strength of schedule rankings on okay. it, um, out-of-conference strength of schedule, and um, uh, in-conference. Let me know if my camera stays on really quick. I have it up right here. Am, am I still there with you? You're still, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So when I'm on the schedule, even if we look at the Zags, their, uh, their strength of schedule rating is 96, which you might think is a little high considering they play in the West Coast Conference. But you got to remember that when they played a non-conference schedule, I mean, they had some cupcakes in there, but they also played some really good teams. They played Iowa and they played um, Kansas and all of them, and their non-conference strength of schedule is ranked 108th. So just a little things like that that you see. You see their opponent's strength of schedule and their opponent's um, their, their opponents adjusted offense and stuff like that. It's a pretty nif uh, nifty site. I mean, like I said, it's not my end-all, be-all. Yeah. Like it's not uh, everything on it. I don't, well, I don't, well it's, now I, I know how I'm, I'm filling out my bracket this year. I de I'm definitely <laughs> going to the, the, the Kim Palm rankings. So you mentioned that you're a big mid-major guy. Uh, let's, let's get into it. Who – are you liking from the mid-major schools? I know you love some Belmont because you texted me when I said, hey, do you want to be on the podcast? You texted me and said, please, let's talk about the OVC. Okay, so he, here's my thing with the mid-majors. I've been pretty lucky the last two years. I, I call it luck right now because I want to see if don't, I can do don't, don't be hating on – yeah, don't be hating on – don't say anything bad. You, you definitely know – you know I go to Western Kentucky, so don't yeah. – no, so, no, no, that's not what I'm going at. What I'm, what, what I'm getting at is I, I've been pretty good at picking upsets in the NCAA tournament. I, I picked Liberty to beat Mississippi State. I think that was two years ago. And then I picked yeah. UC Irvine to beat Kansas State. Yeah, that was Just, when Mississippi State had the Weatherspoon brothers, I believe. Yeah, yep, yep, Weatherspoon brothers. So I, I've been pretty good at picking upsets in that in that realm. Um, even in 20, 2019, Oregon as a 12 seed beat Wisconsin, but we're not going to talk about that. That's two power sixes playing each other. But yeah, you're looking for, you're trying to find an edge because, I mean, every year when we get around, you know, a week before tourney time, you're going to get a lot of analysts, the, 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 not the Jay, Jay Billis's, but the, the, the guys that, the bracketologists, they, yeah. have, they have their own term now. These bracketologists <laughs> are going to get on your TV. Like they're, like they're scientists. Yeah, exactly. They're going to say there's a 55% there's a chance that a 5 seed beats a 12 seed, and then if a 5 seed beats a 12 seed, there's a 30% chance that two five, 5 seeds go down. Something ridiculous like that. But what I look at, that's not what I look at. You know, four it's so true, three. though. Yeah, what I look at is, the, the like I said earlier, the conferences that I like, 
I circle a couple teams at the, at the beginning of the year. Like, let's go with the Conference USC, USA with your uh, Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. I circle that conference because I like the conference because it's hyper-competitive. Western Kentucky's really good. UAB uh, looks really good this year. La Tech plays great defense. North Texas plays great defense. And Marshall beat Wichita State, what, two years ago? Yeah. And they, they still have D'Antoni, Mike D'Antoni's brother coaching up there. So that's a conference I like. I circle those five teams, and I put a star next to maybe the two I really like, Western Kentucky and Marshall. And if they get to the NCAA tournament, they play the regular season well. It doesn't have to be amazing, but they play pretty well, and they do really good in, the tur- in their conference tournament. Well, I'm going to like them if they get like a 12 seed or a 13 seed to pull off an upset, especially when the team that they're going against is a team I'm not super excited about. So that, that's kind of how I pick the um, – my upsets with the mid-majors is um, I, I look to see if I like them to begin with. Obviously, if they win their tournament to get in, and who are they playing? So Ohio Valley Conference, you brought it up. There's one team I really like in that. It's Belmont. I mean, Murray State beat Marquette in that same year, two years ago, uh, with John Morant. And we forget that when they played in the OVC tournament or in the championship, they played Belmont. It was pretty close. And Belmont had a first-round pick in Dylan Weidler, who plays for the, the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, um, you know, if Belmont would have made it, would they have beat Marquette? Possibly. But this Belmont team has a lot of holdovers from that team. They got Grayson Murphy, their guard. He's double-digit score, and he's almost a double-double machine, but in rebounds, nonetheless, not assist. And they, they got uh, Nick Mazowski, the big, big brawling center. I want to say Grayson had a triple-double maybe a week ago, two weeks ago. It was like a 10-10-10 and 10 game. Incredible. Yo, he's a stud. He's a he, he he's a stud. I like him a lot. Um, they got other shooters on their team, but they're what eighteen and one this year. Their one loss was against Sanford, and I believe Sanford committed like thirty uh, team fouls. Just Belmont really wasn't shooting the free throws well, and I think Sanford shot like fifty six percent from three, something crazy like that. It's a really really good Belmont team. It's got veterans on it. Um, it's got guys that have played in the OVC championship. They have no turning experience, but I mean it's a solid team. So. So, so what seed what seed are they looking at? Because when OVC teams, when they win their conference, you usually – you won't even see them as like a 10 seed. Maybe this will be different because of the record that you said with Belmont. But even that John Morant team, I want to say they were like a – weren't they like a 13 or 12 seed? And even, you know, you'll get a really good Belmont team that will just be a 14 or 15 because their conference is so low in the Division One rankings. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking it up right here. They got Belmont penciled in as the 12 seed playing Wisconsin. This and is that's on ESPN. That's a team that is almost undefeated. You almost yeah, have to go yeah, undefeated yeah. to get just a 12 seed. Well, you got to remember their their out of conference schedule is also really really weak. This reason they're 18 and one should be 19 0. But it's a team that I I can trust because I like the players on the team. I know Luke Smith, I believe it is, he shoots 40% from three. He's a guy who can set up in the corner and rain from deep. And even looking at this bracketology by Joel Lenardi on ESPN, okay, they're a 12 seed, but they're playing Wisconsin as a five seed who I'm not buying right now. I mean, they're they're all like the age of 27. They're older than we are, but they struggle mightily from the offensive end. They just kind of look like they're tired of each other. So, I mean – and Jordan Davis, their freshman, looks really good. But right now, if that was a, a game, five Wisconsin versus 12 Belmont, I would probably take Belmont to win outright because in your, in your uh, filling out your bracket and you're in all your bracket challenges, it's, you, you got to pick some upsets if you want to win the dough. So uh, 
yeah, that's definitely a game that I would I would circle right now if that was actually a game. And, and looking at the top 25, there's two mid-major teams in there right now. You got Loyola Chicago, who I mentioned earlier, at 21, and San Diego State at 22. How far do you think those are the two best mid-major schools? And if so, how far do you think they can get in March? Well, so San Diego State, I mean, it's the Mountain West, so we're going to call it a mid-major, but – I mean, they, they – I mean, last year they were going to be a one seed. Let's not forget that. Malachi yeah. Flynn was that danger. He was a bad dude last year. Um, they have some holdovers from that team. I mean, I'm, I'm not, as, I'm not ex- as excited as I was with them last year, unfortunately, because they lost dudes. I mean, they lost dudes to the NBA. I mean, they lost guys to graduation. Um, I've seen them play a little bit. Um, I'm really, really excited to see them play Boise State at the end of the year because Boise State's got two U of A transfers, former top 100 prospects. They got – they got a Mountain West first-team All-American. They're a really good team. But, yeah, as far as them, I mean, maybe a Sweet 16. I, I imagine round of 32 is probably their ceiling. And then Loyola, man, I mean, everybody knows about Sister Jean's squad. They were they, – what, Final Four was it? Yes, Lost Final Four. Lost to Michigan. Three years ago, yeah, two tournaments ago. Um, I mean, what was the recipe for success? They played great defense. They had the um, – Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Year in Clayton Custer. Marcus Towns was a really good shooter, and they had a really good low man, freshman, uh, probably a professional, Cameron Crutwig. Now, you look at this year's team, who do they have? Well, they returned Cameron Crutwig because at the time the dude was a freshman. Uh, he, he, I believe, is a senior or junior now. The guy's a star. He's going to win Mount Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Year again. They're ranked in the top 25 for a reason. Um, they have the number one, yeah, number one adjusted. Ken Palm defense in the country. I mean, they are legit. You saw them play Drake. They held Drake to under, like, I think 50 of one game and under 60 of the other. The, the team, for me, it worries me a little bit from an offensive side. Crutwick's really good. Offense can flow through him. He can facilitate. He's a double-digit scorer, a double-digit rebounder. He's really, really good. But the rest of the team, I don't know if they can – if they, they they can keep up with some of these better offenses. I mean, uh, Tate Hall can shoot. Lucas Williams can shoot. I forget the number 30's name, but he's a really good uh, score down low. And, uh, for me, it depends. I know they're talking about putting them on the 10 line, maybe even the 9 line for an 8-9 matchup. And if they're on the 8-9, they're going to play either Michigan, Baylor, uh, what was um, Gonzaga or the the other ones. See, they're probably going to lose in the round of 32. So, um I'm not too excited about either of those teams, unfortunately. Loyola is one of those teams, though. I mean, if they can get a lot of offensive output from those secondary guys, they can make a run, especially if they're – it might sound crazy, but you almost want a 10 seed over over a 9 seed. Yeah. So you're going to you're gonna have to go play that one seed. And right now on Lenardi, Zags, Baylor, yeah. I don't know what space on Ohio State. Yeah, Ohio State or like in Illinois – but instead, you get a seven seed. You can go play a Villanova that's looked kind of suspect on defense. Go play an Alabama that has looked um, that relies too much on the three ball. Go play an Iowa that I've already said I'm not excited about. That doesn't play great defense. That could be a recipe for a Loyola Chicago win. Yeah, it just depends the seeding. If they get if they get a seven seed or a ten seed, I should say, or even a seven seed. Let's see what they got them at right now. Yeah, they have them as an eight seed. So let's say they get the, they get the seven seed. I mean, shoot. They can make a run all the way to the Sweet 16. It's just come down to seeding, honestly. Yeah, and as much as those teams would want that 7 or 10 seed, I am 
begging and praying that we get. I also have Joe Lunardi's. It, it may be, I think it's la, it's last updated from February 23rd, so that's, you know, a couple of days ago. But he has Loyola Chicago and San Diego State in an 8-9 matchup in Region 1 for that first game. That would be arguably, in my mind, the best game of the tournament, just from what you were saying. I mean, to see those guys, 21 and 22, going at it, they're the two best mid-major schools, so-called to speak, but – for their sakes, <laughs> the, if you win, you get awarded with playing Gonzaga unless South Dakota or, or North Carolina a and I mean, they pull off the miracle. That would be better than UNBC. But a Loyola-Chicago-San Diego State first-round matchup, I, I think that would be maybe the best game of the tournament. First yeah, no, it'd definitely be a good, good game. But like you, like, like you said, kind of reiterating my point is, I mean, shoot, yeah. It's probably going to be a really good game. Loyola Chicago plays great defense. San Diego State can shoot the ball really well. It's going to be a back and forth, probably a little bit of a slugfest um, type of game. Yeah. And all because how Loyola likes to play, and San Diego State likes to play a little bit more West Coast basketball. So it's kind of a you know immovable mod object meets unstoppable force type deal. But the winner gets what they get greeted with the Zags. That's not fun for anybody. Yeah, you know, congratulations, you made it to the round of 32, and that's that's pretty much it. And, and you're, you're, you're a 17, 18 point dog, and and then you look at the other side, and it's like, well, shoot, if Ohio State plays, let's say Florida or Oregon in the round of 32, Ohio State's what five point favorite, five and a half point favorite. Yeah. Yet the other side in Region One, you've got an 18 point favorite playing an eight seed. It's crazy. So. uh yeah, it just depends on seating. Like I said, Cameron Crow looks really, really good. Um, if you get a chance to watch him play in the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament, I'd say do so. Unfortunately for Drake, which was their biggest competition, Roman Penn, their best player, he broke his foot, so he's out. So really Loyola's just got a straight shot to the, to the tournament. Um, I don't, they don't even need to win out to get in. I think they get to the conference championship and yeah. lose, they'll be fine. But I don't see how they're going to lose. I don't really see a lot of competition in Missouri Valley. So uh, – yeah, I think they'll be competitive, and so will San Diego State. I mean, they're coached by really good coaches. They've made the tournament before. This isn't a one-off thing. So, yeah, definitely teams you got to look out for. And since I have the Joe Lunardi, we both have the Joe Lunardi prediction mm-hmm. bracket up, I'm going to go through some more matchups that I think are really interesting, and I'm a little biased starting with this one. But I think that Western Kentucky-USC matchup in the first round, four and 13 seed, is really interesting because not only the game, but you have Evan Mobley going up against Charles Bassey, who Charles Bassey can play in any conference. If he was in the Big 12, West Virginia played Western Kentucky in the beginning of the year, and Derek Culver and Charles Bassey, I think Charles Bassey looked a little bit better than Derek Culver, maybe Culver just because having that size and, and being at West Virginia, they put, a lot of people put Culver over Bassey, but Charles Bassey, dude, he, he's the real deal. He's a double-double machine, and when he's got it going, he can have a 20-and-20 a 20 20 night on the board. Seeing him go up against Evan Mobley because Bassey's trying to make a name for himself being a, at a mid-major school and trying to be a first-round draft pick. If he got in that first game and dominated against Evan Mobley, oh, my God. I would be – I mean, I'd be loving every second of it. Well, here, here's the here's the thing, Matthew. Here's the thing. <laughs> Going back to the conference thing, where I'm like, I I pick some teams in the conferences that I like, and if they make the tournament, I'm a little bit more bullish on them. 
it also comes down to the conference itself. Like I'm not about okay. to jump on the American East. And, well, I mean, I shouldn't really use the American East because they're not bad. They got UMBC in Vermont, but I'm not going to jump on like uh, the, the Northeast. I'm not going to, you know, Bryant. I'm not going to pick Bryant to upset anybody because they're, they're, they're a low, low conference. Like they're That's low fair. on the totem pole. <laughs> but Conference USA is a, uh, a conference that can definitely win one because they won one not too long ago with Marshall being, uh, being Wichita State. So back to your point, would that be a great game, USC versus Western Kentucky? Absolutely. Do I think Western Kentucky – is going to win the Conference USA? I don't know because, it's like I said, a hyper-competitive conference. With Western Kentucky, Rick Stansberry, their head coach, he just seems like a guy that is a better recruiter than actual coach because the past four years, every year that I've been to Western Kentucky, they've supposed to be the team to win it or at least get close, and they have been close. But my sophomore year, they were beat by Old Dominion Championship. There was no way that they should have lost that game. And then freshman year, you had John L. Moore, and they ended up losing by one point. So this year, if they don't win the Conference USA Championship and they still get that large bid, I would kind of hold up on them getting a, a first-round win because they really have trouble winning big games. John Elmore, that's a throwback name. I, I miss watching him play. I but, uh... that. <laughs> Uh, oh, hard to watch as a Western Kentucky thing. Yeah, yeah he, he, he was one of the best scorers in that conference's history. Yes. And Old Dominion, I mean, that team, dude, that team, talking about slugfest, they, they, they went at you for 40 minutes on defense. I mean, they couldn't score to save their lives, but yeah. B.J. Stythe, I remember him, he was like six foot five, like 270. I was like, that, that's, the, that's the perfect male build right there. It's an Definitely. absolute taunt truck. But, uh, yeah, I mean – like you said, um, as an Arizona State fan, I know all too much about uh, recruiting talent and then not seeing it, um, not seeing the results you want on the court. Uh, as far as Western Kentucky goes, though, I mean Charles Bassey, great player, and Tavion Hollinsworth is also really good. Um, and then uh, Frampton, the the transfer from Davidson, he is money. Uh huh. Anderson's really good as well. Josh Anderson. Um, Another thing I like to look at, too, if I think they're going to make a run, is do they have an NBA player on their team? And can they okay. score from different different, different ways? Um, and, yeah, I mean, they have Charles Bassey. He's a, he's a professional basketball player. That's going to be his career for a bit there. Then they can they score other ways. I mean, Hollinsworth's a really, really, really good guard. He's a veteran. And Anderson's really good. And Luke Frampton's really good. And, uh, I mean, anybody that – that comes out of that conference, whether it's them or Marshall. And then, I mean, UAB and LaTeX good, but those two specifically, I think are going to win a game. Marshall returns 90, like 98 or 99% of the minutes from last year's team. Uh, I don't know if you've seen him play, but Travion Kinsley, 20 point per game score for Marshall. He is legit as they come. And D'Antoni, Mike D'Antoni's brother, Dan D'Antoni still the coach there, the dude that wears a t-shirt with the uh, sports coat. I just really like that team a lot. Iconic look anybody so conference usa I, I like them to win a lot personally who do i think could go farther western kentucky or marshall it's got to be western kentucky I mean, they beat alabama this year and I, I remember when they won it was like a big win but it wasn't a great win and now they watch it tonight they have a matchup against houston on the road yep. they're, they're a 12 point underdog and i i just think I, there's no way i can pass that number i think it's too big i know they're going to houston to play play at their place but if you want to be considered a team that win a game um, in the round of 64 and even the round of 32 and make some noise come March Madness time, you're going to have to stay competitive. 
you can't get blown out against he's I mean you can and then bounce back but I want to see some type of uh, energy tonight from Bassey and from the squad of the Hilltoppers so uh yeah, that's that's a team I'm really excited to see come uh, tournament time is Western Kentucky. Yeah. Or Marshall. Yeah. But I'm hoping Western Kentucky. <laughs> Hopefully. Sco tops, baby. Um, Alec Muta, this has been some good stuff. We, we've been talking for an hour. It's felt like two minutes. Before I let you go, I, I'm finished talking college basketball. I think I got all, all – of the information I, I needed out of you for my bracket. I'm going to be honest with you. The, the only reason I had you on the podcast was so I could get a better bracket. I didn't, I didn't get you on here so you could have some information. Uh, well, hey, before, before we stop talking about college basketball, we'll say this and for anybody that listens to the very end. If there's going to be a team that people aren't really talking about that could make a run around a, around a 32, maybe even a sweet 16, that's a mid-major, watch out for UC Santa Barbara. You got that, Matt? I, got, I, I hear you. UC Santa Barbara, I have not watched a single game from them. So, uh, again, that goes back to my bracket knowledge. And if I saw UC Santa Barbara as an 11 or 10 seed in the round of 64, I would be like, they're getting out first round. And then they would end up making a sweet 16 run. And I, I would get so sad that my bracket sucks once again. I'm so, telling you, no, nobody's going to pick them. They're probably going to get a 13, 12 seed. I don't think anyone's going to pick them. Uh, Joe Pasternak's their coach over there. Talk about a recruiter. This guy's going to win 20 games in four straight seasons. You might wonder, well, why hasn't he made the tournament? UC Irvine was really good a couple years back, and they beat Kansas State in the tournament. This team has two former top 100 prospects, one from Oregon, uh, Miles Norris, and one from Oregon State. Um, I got his name right, uh, Ja'Cory McLaughlin. Okay. Both double-digit scores, and then they have a two-time All-Big West guy on their team, Armand Sal. I mean, this team – they got guys. They play great defense. They can score. They got blue chip guys. Watch out for UC Santa Barbara. Boom. And and also that you mentioned that if UC Santa Barbara is a 13 seed, you have to imagine that they're going to be playing a four. So you're looking at maybe Texas Tech, maybe Purdue, Virginia Tech, Florida State. That, that can be a, a pretty winnable game, especially Texas Tech, because they've been kind of struggling down the stretch. And it seems like if Matt McClung – isn't doing everything scoring wise for that team that there's some downfalls for Texas Tech. Yeah, yeah that team. That, like, yeah. You know that that Chris Beard. You, you just never know. They 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 went to a national championship. There's, I love them but hate them at the same time. So with that being said, that is the end of our college basketball talk. But before I said before I let you go, my guy Alec Muse. I'm so used to saying that to Eric Lynn, but now that I can finally get great some guy. Great, great guy. When, when I, since I finally have you on the podcast, I can say that NBA, you follow a lot of NBA. I just want to get your thoughts on how you think the NBA season has gone so far. Uh, well, the Phoenix Suns, <laughs> we can just talk about them at nauseum if you so want. So we're just going to turn this into a Suns podcast. Devin Dude, Booker, they are awesome. Devin they are, Booker, Devin Booker got in. Oh, what's that? Devin Booker being snubbed. Yeah, but he got it, and but I think he's still pissed off. I'd be pissed off, dude. Devin Booker's a stud, man. He got to give him his due. And then people talking about empty stats, throwing advanced metrics out there and stuff like that. It's like, but look closer. I mean, they're winning games, and he's a big part of it. And he, you cannot tell me he's not one of the best guards on the West. So he got in. I'm happy for him. Chris Paul got in. I'm happy for him as well. The Suns make the playoffs. It's going to feel like the first time in forever because you want to know oh why. Because it is the first time in forever. So yeah, I'm going to have uh, I'm going to have Steve Nash vibes for crying out loud. And then uh, how about the Nuggets, man? How about the Nuggets? How, how about the Nuggets? Um, 
not going to lie, they've been frustrating to watch. They're sitting at 17 and 14 right now. They've had a lot of injuries, but they are definitely better than uh, 17 and 14. You're sitting at a 500 record, basically. And when you have Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, but that's the thing is Jamal Murray, I kind of feel bad for him because he was so dominant in the playoffs that everyone expects him day in and day out to go and put up 40 points per game. That is never who Jamal Murray has been, especially in the regular season. He's a guy who's going to score 20 points per game. Now, the field goal percentage has been down. I expect him to be shooting a little better from three, and he's just not looking to take as many shots in the past. This is a guy who's a very confident shooter, but Nikola Jokic has been dominant. He's been doing everything for him because he's in the MVP race, and he's putting up numbers 41-5-5 five five against the Trailblazers the other day. He's had a 50-point game. And Jamal Murray, he also had a 50-point game. That was pretty impressive. Shot 8 for 10 from downtown. But Denver, as much as I hate saying this, and I, I obviously want them to make the finals, they're still just not there yet. And MPJ needs to step up a little bit scoring-wise, especially defensively. He's so lengthy, but he's not good at defense. And watching that potential, Alex Musa, it makes me cry when I see the Denver Nuggets lose by 20 on the road to the Atlanta Hawks. I'm like, what are we doing? So hey, give, give Trey Young his respect. Give Trey his respect. Trey, Trey, Trey's great, but I think the Hawks should be playing a little better than they are, especially in that weak Eastern Conference. That is getting better because the Brooklyn Nets have formed one of the best super teams of all time. <laughs> but the Denver Nuggets, I think MPJ needs to step up or they're one piece away. I would love to see them go after Bradley Beal. It would take a lot. But I think when you have a guy like Jokic and Murray, it's time to do so. Jokic is in his prime, and you do not want to waste that. So going to get Bradley Beal, if you had – that's just a fandom. There's no rumors. It's not going to happen. It's just something that I would like to see. Have I done it on 2K? Maybe. Have I traded Bradley <laughs> Beal over to the Nuggets? If you had Jamal Murray, Jokic, Bradley Beal, and MPJ, and then Paul Millsap, that veteran leadership, that's a tough starting five to beat, but you need every single ounce of it if you're going to beat a LeBron James, Anthony Davis in the West, and then you have a Clippers team that they're out for blood. You just beat them. You came back 3-1 series. So, yeah, Nuggets, interesting team. I hope Jokic gets the MVP, but it's not going to happen if they finish at, at 500, for crying out loud, and get a sixth seed. Now, going back to the Suns, how are you feeling confidence-wise? How far do you think they can make it? No, I expect them to win the championship. Now, uh, <laughs> so Chris Paul is going to win finals MVP. <laughs> Chris Paul, finals MVP. Devin Booker, MVP. DeAndre Aiden, most improved. We got, we're going to have four who, guys. Who else is on the team? What other awards? A six man of the year? Who we got? And the whole bench is getting it. It was just shit. Frank Aminsky, Javon <laughs> Carter. But, you know, they're going to give us dudes a start. They're going to give it to Cam Johnson. Uh, the, the award ceremony is going to be Jordan Clarkson, uh, Phoenix Suns bench, and then just Lou Williams, and they're just gonna announce the Suns, and they'll go up on stage. That's awesome. They're gonna, yeah, they're gonna change the logo to Steve Nash. They're gonna, they're gonna do a whole bunch of stuff. Um, I honestly, compete in the playoffs. Get there how, and compete. How much would it hurt you though if the if the Suns actually made it to the finals and they had to play the Brooklyn Nets, and you saw Steve Nash come into Phoenix and win a NBA title? It'd be like an emotional hedge because I always wanted to win one as a kid and it never happens. So Everyone's one as a 
coach and it beats us, it's like, shoot, we made the finals. That's awesome. That means we got farther than the Lakers. And Steve Nash finally wins one after uh, taking a nosedive into the scores table against the Spurs because Robert Ory decided to check him like it was a hockey matchup. So, um, yeah, I would be excited if he won. And the Suns right now, they're sitting at the four seed in the Western Conference. If the playoffs started today, they would be in a first-round matchup with the Portland Trailblazers, which would be really Suns and five, gentlemen. Sweet. It, it would be a really good matchup because obviously the Blazers can score really well. They have the best player to ever live in Carmelo Anthony. But besides okay. him, I guess you have Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. The Blazers can't play defense, and that's been their downfall. I don't care how many clutch shots Damian Lillard hits. It doesn't matter when you're scoring 130 and the other team is scoring 140. And I could really see the Suns winning, and I'm going to give them six games because Dame Dalla is is a special. (laughs) But I think that's a really good matchup, a really good spot that they're in because it's looking like the Utah Jazz are going to get that one seed. So if you're the Suns, and you beat the Blazers in the first round, you have the Utah Jazz. And, yeah, the Jazz are a one seed, but they're a very beatable. The Warriors are an eight seed. If Steph gets hot, you never Mm -hmm. know. I'm not saying it would happen, but it's not like the Utah Jazz or the Clippers or the Lakers where you're thinking, oh, there's no way that team's going to get out in the first round. Because if the Denver Nuggets played really bad and they got an eight seed, if you had a Nuggets-Jazz 8-1 matchup, that, that, that series is probably going seven. It did last year, and, and those teams are, are still very, very the same, the way they play. Yeah, dude, every, everybody's looking at these, these this Jazz squad. Everyone's trying to wait for them to fall off, and they're just not falling off. So yeah, uh, Donovan Mitchell, I think that, that comment that Shaq said about Donovan Mitchell, did you see that where after a TNT game, Shaq, in a post-game press conference, they had Donovan Mitchell on the mic, and Shaq with a straight face said to Donovan Mitchell, I don't think you're good enough to win an NBA championship. Have you ever seen that video? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shaq, Shaq is uh, – he's on one. He, he's he off is, the he's, he's, he's been going after guys. In, in, those, yeah. in, the, in the interviews after the games, he will just straight up, I don't think you're good enough. What do you, what do you say about that? But trash. It's, I'm better. I'm like, okay, okay, Shaq. Yeah, like, okay, Shaq, you're also like one of the greatest, probably the greatest center yeah. that's ever lived. You got to calm down. But – yeah, Phoenix Suns, I think if you get in a 4-5 matchup and you're playing a one-seed Jazz after maybe a nice upset, I would definitely say that would be an upset if they beat Portland in the first round just because oh, yeah. they're finally back and this is Booker's first time in the in the playoffs. But he does have – Yeah, even if they go seven and lose to Portland, I'm not going to be, like, super excited because they lost. But I'm going to be like, hey, there's progress. And you know what? We went seven with a really good team. So Yeah, and also speaking of Steve Nash – if you go to Alex Musa's Twitter and find his profile pic, Alex Musa is a spitting image of Steve Nash. But he doesn't play like him. He plays like Dirk Nowitzki. And that makes me bring up another memory of, you know, I said in the beginning when me and Alex Musa first met and we were talking college basketball, we also went and played basketball. And I mentioned Runza Park. It was this outdoor park, double rims. So when we would play games there, they would last for an hour because no one could hit a jump shot because it was always rimming out. Not even a jump shot. It'd be a layup. I mean, there would be times I would go up for a layup and it would rattle in and out. It was so annoying. But, yeah, Alec Musa, have you been working on the uh, the Dirk fadeaway lately? 
You know, I've, I've been I've been trying to uh, diversify my game a little bit. I'm working on the three point jump shot, actually. Um, oh my gosh! Now you were you were testing that out a little bit at Runza Park, and I was in favor of it. I remember there was one game we were doing two on two against the coaches, and you hit like I want to say like three in a row, and you were carrying us. Oh yeah, I mean the one time because they never really let us be on teams together. Every once in a while, you and I got on a team together, but when we played, uh, we never did on five on five. We never guy it was always two on two yeah but when we played jack gerstenmeyer who uh, played baseball at virginia freak athlete <laughs> college, played, college world series athlete yeah and colton taylor coach Ta coach ct who you look at him you might not be like he is he really that good of an athlete the guy can play some basketball <laughs> colton taylor is a athletic son of a gun and yeah and we had to play both of them and we competed we what did we win two or three yeah i think we did yeah, we made it happen just because I was able to hit threes. But, yeah, I've been working on the three-point jump shot. Um, I've been playing down at this park in Glendale when I'm in Phoenix with a couple of I play fantasy basketball with. Uh, shout out Brandon Newsome. But it's been, a, it's been a good time just trying to make my game a little bit better uh, one day at a time. Uh, also focusing on that golf game a little bit. Oh, my gosh, man. I, I have been golfing a couple of times in the fall, and I think I want to go back to Nebraska because I think it was better there. It has just gotten worse. Oh, Matt, don't Alec, tell me that. Alec, I'll tell you what. There was – if you remember it correctly, and I apologize for our listeners because now it's just turning into me and Alec having a conversation, but this is good. <laughs> it's memory of time. This, this is memory. This is Nebraska's story. There was this one hole that we played at, if you're listening, and it was – I mean, it looked like a shot out of a video game. You have Alec Musa. I took a picture. He, he's teeing off. He's getting ready to drive. I think it was a three-par. And you had the bluffs, little canyon in the back, because where we were staying, you had the little small city, and then you had the, the mountains or the, you know, the mini Grand Canyon, I like to call it. But you had the bluffs in the back, and it was beautiful. It was like you were playing at a PGA Tour course in my mind, because that's probably the best course I've been to, because I never go golfing. But it was beautiful. But – the, the swing's been looking good, my guy. Yeah, just uh, trying to adjust some things. I thought I played pretty good in Nebraska. I came back to uh, good yeah, old Phoenix. You, you played really well in Nebraska. Oh, yeah. No, I was hitting the ball really well. I was kind of just uh, gripping it and ripping it. And when I got back to Arizona, um, a little bit not, – not to say the competition got better. I'm not trying to diss you. Is it the air? Is it the, is it the, di the different environment? Don't, don't yeah, be – Yeah, Cody Kale is a heck of a golfer. But, I mean, just trying to keep up with some of my uh, some of my buddies. I knew I had to change some things up. But, yeah, so, yeah, I've been going to the range every once in a while, working on, uh, you know, just little tweaks. Um, just trying to hit the ball a little bit better. So, always trying to get better. You know how it is. Oh, yeah. And, and next time, hopefully, if we ever do an intern trip, we go to Arizona or something, then we can get the two-man go, game going, the pick and roll, and we can go golfing with Eric Land. Just a good time. Re relinquish the Nebraska memories. I'm, I'm looking yeah, we'll make it happen. I, I have no doubt that we're all going to link up together here soon. Absolutely. Well, now we got college basketball over with. Just talked about NBA. I got to let you go also because I got to get ready for class. I have a class in about an hour. I'm still in school, sadly. Um, Alec, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Hopefully we can do this again. Maybe next time Noah can be involved. He wasn't able to do it today. That's why I was said I was riding solo. But maybe if we get a podcast, maybe the Sweet 16, if you want to do something in March, whatever your schedule. Um, like I said, this was awesome. We went for about an hour and a half. 
I was thinking we were going to go 45 minutes, but when I looked up at the clock and saw that it was an hour and I still wanted to talk NBA and Nebraska memories, I was like, man, we, we might as well just had a full on show today. We might as well just done this for a living, but Alec, I, I appreciate you being on today, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Man. And anytime you want to get me on, um, like I said, it's, it's a lot of college basketball to talk about. There's 300 plus teams, 64 teams make the tournament plus the four in the first, you know, the first four in. So, or final four in. So, lot to talk about, but I enjoyed my time on here. Um, just let me know, man, and I'll, I'd love to join the show. I'll be a reoccurring guest, so to speak. Awesome. And and last reminder for everyone, UC Santa Barbara. They are UC Santa Barbara buy-in to pass your next squad. What's, the their, what's their team? What's their mascot? The Gauchos. Go fighting Gauchos. Go fighting Gauchos. Thanks for having me. No problem. So hopefully me and Noah will be – having a podcast next week where we're not going to talk as much about college basketball because this show was heavily college basketball. We'll, we'll be talking a lot about NBA. The all-star break is coming up soon. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at the closeout podcast. Me and Noah, Alec, if, if you don't know our podcast, we're terrible. I'm not good at Twitter. So we, we don't tweet a lot, but make sure you go follow us so you can get updates on, on when the podcasts go out. So go follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the closeout podcast. So for myself, Matthew Hargrove, hopefully I will see you guys next week.